History of Armenia podcast series. Episode 12. We concluded the last episode with the end of the 400-year-long Arsacid rule. Armenia's western provinces had become Roman territory since 387. The northern province of Gugark had been taken by the Georgian kingdom. Eastern Utik and Artsakh had been taken by the Caucasian Albanians. But the core six Armenian provinces, including Ayrarat, Turuberan, Sunik, Vaspurakan, Mok, and Taik of Greater Armenia, remained united under the Sassanid rule. Romans called this united province Persia Armenia. In 428, after deposing the last Arsacid king Artashes Artashir, Bahram V appointed a Persian governor or a Marspan over Armenia. The Marspanate or the governorate of Persian Armenia existed until the 7th century when the Arabs came along to conquer it. The province of Ayrarat was the center of Persian Armenia and within Ayrarat the seat of the Armenian kings had been Artashat. However, the Persians moved the capital from Artashat to a city on the hill known as Tavin. Ruins of Tavin can be seen today some 20 miles outside of the Armenian capital Yerevan. Tavin will be important in our later discussions as the seat of the Armenian Catholicos was moved there at the second half of the 5th century. Tavin remained the capital of the Armenian province under the Arab rule up until the late 9th century when it was ruined by a powerful earthquake. According to Ghazar Parpeti, Bahram V appointed a certain Sassanid noble named Vemishapu as the first Marspan or the governor of Persia Armenia. Vemishapu stayed in power until 442. In the year 428, Bahram imprisoned Catholicus Sahak Partev along with Artashes Artashir. Bahram's intention was to eliminate the house of Gregory the Illuminator, which was a powerful political opponent. Before his exile, however, Sahak had managed to leave the affairs of the church in safe hands. He appointed Mesrop Mashtots as the superintendent of the cathedral in Echmiatin. During that period, Christianity was on the verge of its first great schism. Nestorius, who happened to be the Archbishop of Constantinople, had expressed radical views regarding Mary, mother of Jesus. Those views had put Nestorius in conflict with the other major figure in early Christendom, the Patriarch of Alexandria, Cyril. Cyril was a popular figure, and through a successful campaign, which he undertook with the help of Theodosius II, he set the stage for ending Nestorius's career. In 431, Theodosius II organized the Council of Ephesus, so that all the Christendom could unite around a single Christology. In Ephesus, Nestorius was officially condemned as a heretic. As Nestorius got rejected by the West, he consolidated his power in Persia, and Nestorianism became the official doctrine of Persian Christendom. It found followers within the Assyrian Church of the East, which had been officially recognized by the Sassanids in 410, something we mentioned in a previous episode. During the period between 428 and 436, while Catholicos Sahak was in exile at the Sassanid court, 
Two Assyrian bishops, Surmak and Berkisho, succeeded each other on the apostolic seat of the Armenian Church. Their Nestorian views threatened the tradition of the Armenian Church, and this is why the powerful Armenian nobles stepped in and demanded that Sahak be restored as the head of the church. These were the same nobles who had helped Bahram depose the Arsacid and enjoyed the King of Kings' favor. According to Khorenazi, in order to continuously control the Armenian church, Bahram appointed another Assyrian, Shmuel, as a dual Catholicus. Shmuel was despised by the people and the nobles who had gathered around Sahak. Through careful politics, Sahak was able to restrict the spread of Nestorian ideas. He was also able to secure the position of Sparaped or the commander of the armies for his grandson by daughter, Vartan Mamikonyan. Before that, Vartan had been a Sparaped, but for the Roman Armenian provinces since 420. Furthermore, Sahak and Mesrop Mashtots called the Second Council of Ashtishat in 435 in order to officially accept the doctrine of Council of Ephesus. This was an important meeting as it allowed Sahak to further reject Nestorius's ideas. Soon after, Shemuel died and the nobles offered the seat to Sahak. However, only a year later, Armenia became an orphan child when its last remaining major political parent, Sahak, died. His death brought to an end the Gregorian lineage of Catholici, as Sahak had no heir. Despite the misfortunes of Armenia, Nakharars still enjoyed high level of independence on their lands, which were known as Vostan. Meanwhile, a new Persian king was crowned in 438. Haskert II, the son of Param V. He continued and even escalated his father's campaign of suppressing the Jews and the Christians. Some 30 years earlier, Haskert I had appointed a nobleman, Mihir Narse, as Grand Vizier, who served him, then Param V, and then Haskert II, and even the next king, Peros II. He was so trusted by Bahram that he would oversee the empire while the king himself went on to military campaigns. Narse basically came in power as soon as Haskert I turned his head away from the Christians. Narse had become super popular throughout the decades of his career because he had a cause to fight for and the full backing of the king. He was a devout Zoroastrian and did not miss a chance to suppress the Christians. In just a few years, Narse wreaked havoc on Armenians with his anti-Christian campaign. While one could predict him turning harshly against the Christian Armenians, it's a mystery why he had not started that campaign earlier. The persecutions grew in numbers and severity around the time when the Byzantine influence diminished. What happened was that in 440, Theodosius II was invaded by the Vandals in Africa, followed by another invasion by the Persians themselves, and then another one by the Huns. As a result, Constantinople pulled back its political and military positions from Armenia. Also, following the deaths of Sahak Partev and Mesrop Mashtots, the Armenian church was in a defenseless state, susceptible to persecution. Around that time, in 442 or 443, Vasak Siuni, the Armenian prince of Siunik, 
assumed the role of the Marspan of Armenia. By 445, the repressions of Christians had escalated further. Also, due to the growing attacks from the northern tribes, Hasgert had begun to recruit soldiers from his subject territories, including Armenia, in order to send them to the front line. Many of the Naharars, along with their soldiers, were forced to relocate all the way to the northeast of Persia to help Hasgert fight against the Heftalites, also known as White Huns. Vartan, as the commander of the Armenian forces, led these soldiers into battle. In 450, after defeating the White Huns, Hasgert, sensing that the returning armies who threatened him, did not disband the Armenian, Georgian, and Caucasian Albanian units. He rather stationed those units at a location known in Armenian as the Jorapahak, or the Gate of the Huns, which is currently Terbent in Tagestan, in order to keep them away from their home provinces. Meanwhile, Armenians left without an army were a fair game for persecutions and heavy taxation. The story of this period has generally been preserved in the historical accounts of Yerishe and Ghazar Parpetsi. While Parpetsi has focused on the general period, Yerishe has kept a more detailed account of the events that we are about to discuss. According to him, in this period the Sassanid officials started taxing the clergy which up until that point had been exempted from taxes. Then Hasgerd sent a certain official named Denshapu to Armenia who deprived the noble Nakharar families of their inherent privileges and appointed a Persian council that would look after the province's affairs. The only offices left in the hands of the Armenians were the commander of the armies and the Marspan. The commander was away fighting the Huns and the Marspan was Vasak Suni, who soon aligned himself with Hasgirt. In 450, the Sassanid Grand Vizier, Mihir Narse, known to Armenians with the title Hazarapet, sent a decree addressed to all Armenian nobles, commanding the Armenian nobility, to convert to Zoroastrianism. The decree put two choices in front of the nobles. They had to either accept all of the points and respond with a favorable answer, or send a delegation to the imperial court for a further inquiry. Vartan, who had already returned to Armenia, called a meeting at Artashat, which was attended by 18 bishops, led by Catholicus Hosep, and by the princes from all the noble houses. The council composed a lengthy letter, which is preserved in Yerisha's work, which affirmed their devotion to the Christian faith, and the Armenian church rejected Meher Narses' decree. Enraged Hasgert summoned the ten leading Armenian nobles, including Vartan, Vasak Suni, and Hazarapet Vahan Amatuni, to immediately go to the court in Tisbon for an explanation. Here starts a story known to almost every Armenian, told and retold in history books, poems, and novels. Hasgert imprisons the Armenian nobles, who at first refused to convert. Then those same nobles decide to falsely convert to Zoroastrianism just so they can get out of the prison. The scheme works, and Hasgert, delighted by their conversion, sends them with a supporting force and Zoroastrian Magi to go back and convert the whole Armenian population. However, as soon as the nobles step on the Armenian soil, they denounce their conversion, join the popular resistance, and push the Persian force out of Armenia. The only noble who remains on the Persian side is Marspan Vasak, who becomes known as a traitor and is described by Yerisha 
as a vessel of evil. Eventually, the revolt culminates in the field of Avaraj on May 26, 451, where the Armenian forces, led by Vartan, clash with the Sassanid forces, led by commander Mushkan Nusalavurt, armed with elephants and elite units. The Persian forces come out as victors from the battle, since a lot of nobles, including Vartan, die on the battlefield. However, Persians suffered heavy losses and for the moment hold off on the plan to convert the Armenians. What this did is buy time for the Armenians to regroup and organize a more efficient resistance, led by another Mamikonian, the future Marspan Vahan, whom we will discuss in our next episode. Now as a conclusion, we want to return to Yerish's account of the history of Vartan and the Armenian war to clarify some points. One of the major problems with the segment of the Armenian history, mainly Vartan's revolt, is that it is almost excluded from non-Armenian sources, leaving Yerishe to be the primary source that has been reiterated by later Armenian historians almost verbatim. This has prompted later historians to dispute the validity of the account or put it at a much later date, rather than that of an eyewitness. Even Ghazar Parpeti, who in his history also mentions Vartan and is considered to be Yerish's contemporary, at times is at odds with the details presented in Yerish's work. Another Armenian historiographer, Tovmas Arceruni, who wrote in the 10th century, even confuses the 451 revolt with another that took place in 572, led by another Vartan Mamikonian, known to Armenians as Karmir or Red Vartan. However, since Vartan's martyrdom and the idea of a last stand at Avarair against a major enemy force parallel to that of the last stand of the Spartans and Thermopylae has become so deeply ingrained in our historical narrative that the discussion of its validity seems to not have even been considered. In the next episode, we will talk about the Council of Chalcedon, which is one of the major controversies in the next episode, we will talk about the Council of Chalcedon, which is one of the major controversies for the early Christian churches, especially the Armenian church, and we will talk about the situation in Armenia as a result of the defeat at the hands of the Sassanids and the eventual rise in glory achieved by Vahan Mamikonyan through a series of confrontations against the Persians.